0: What
1: does it take to become an elite 40k player how do the top competitors overcome bad dice the competitive 40k network presents art of war unbroken insight into the game plans of the top players on the planet with your hosts blake law and the art of war coaches
2: welcome back to the art of war unbroken this is part two of the episode so if you haven't listened to part one yet go check it out We are joined again by Mr. John Lennon, currently number one in the ITC. He just finished second overall at the Orlando U.S. Series Open, I guess two weeks ago now. And we discussed in part one his game in the final match versus his roommate Richard Siegler's ADMEC. We recounted his woes as he lost by two points in the end. And we're here today to talk about what he would do different going forward, what his list change would, would be, and what strategies he plans to implement I'm joined as always by Brad Edeldoce, Brad the Twelfth, Mister White Cheddar. He's great at 40K. Brad, what is up, my man? I will find you in Arkansas. <laughs> you know, dude, I'm going to see you in New Orleans in what five weeks? We, you can find me then.
0: Oh, that's the thing is, is that I, I can only my my anger only lasts about 24 hours. So I'm old. I won't even remember this. I, don't, I have a hard time remembering who I am.
2: Dude, I don't even know where I'm at right now. I'm so backwoods. You'll never find me here, man. You'll never. You will never find me. Brad, start us off. What's going on
0: today? I got stuff. I have questions for Mr. John, the boy king. I've got some stuff for that. John, You first off, let's talk about it, because you had talked about a move that you had made in the game, and you were going to give us a little more of a breakdown of exactly what that move was and how you could have done it differently against Mr. Seagler.
1: Yeah, so um, I actually—I uh, assume we're talking about the the rhino. Correct. The, okay. Yep. <laughs> the island in the sun over here. The island. We, um, we
0: started getting the song. Please don't put that in my head
1: again. Oh yeah. It's islands in the stream. So uh, um, get it right. I was making a different reference. Um. So, anyways, um, we are uh we're talking about the rhino. So uh, to begin the game, I specifically deployed one rhino, which does have a scout move built in, on the edge of my deployment zone, knowing that I was uh, less than six inches away from making the center objective. When I went first, I uh, just had a six-inch scout move, so I bulldozed forward, touched the edge of the objective, and uh, then we began my turn. So at the beginning of my turn in my command phase, uh, because of one of the rules of sweep and clear, if you hold an objective in your command phase, that objective is held until your opponent holds the objective. So I was able to move on to the objective, hold my command phase, and it was now mine even if I left it. So I uh, just drove my rhino back. And um, one of the reasons was that going into this game, I knew that it would definitely be a, a bit of a trade fest where we were both going to be uh, putting models uh, onto the center, killing each other off of it, you know, getting our tens on primary, getting our stranglehold direct assault, denying the other person their 15s. I knew it would be back and forth, and frankly, I didn't want to lose a unit doing it. So by scout moving onto the objective, I um, I just got it, left, and then didn't have to spend a unit holding it. So when Richard um, pushed forward onto the objective, he didn't have a soft infantry unit to kill. Um, I did this because I was hoping that I would be able to deny Richard his, um, um, whatever it's called, I was hoping that I'd be able to deny Richard uh, his eradication of flesh on turn one. So he was able to, um, so he wasn't able to kill an infantry unit. I was able to get both my stranglehold and direct assault that turn, and uh, and we kind of moved on from there. Um, I I That part of the plan I think was perfect. I think that that turn one, Uh, was exactly what I needed in the center, and I shouldn't have been any more aggressive than that. Uh, Just because, you know, I could do it without losing any resources or exposing anything at all, so there's no reason not to. Um, What ended up happening here was, um, I was trying to do this so that I could deny Richard his eradication of flesh turn one. Unfortunately, even though I knew it was possible, I still wasn't expecting it to happen, uh, because I hadn't put together all of the metallic rules that I was individually aware of. Uh, Richard had started off by going with um plus one uh, save and a minus three movement as his doctrine. So I thought that I could hide from his Cerberus Raiders. Uh, somehow Richard was able to send a Cerberus unit, Raider unit 18 inches and shoot without penalties anyway, because Admech. Um, uh, I'm sorry, he sent them 21 inches and shot anyways. Where he picked the unit, ignored the depreda- uh, degradation, then gave it a different doctrine of plus three move, um, <laughs> ignored that depreciation, and uh, then auto-advanced them six where they didn't take a penalty. So uh, of course at that point he uh, went 21 inches, was able to get line of sight to a Dominion on objective, and uh, uh, well, he, he beat me. Uh, and uh, took, killed that unit, um, got himself three points on eradication of flesh, and denied me five on primary. And I think what I should have done was seen that coming. And uh, I I mean, I was aware service raiders could be fast. but. After he scout moved twelve inches directly away from me, I didn't think he was going to go twenty-one inches onto my objective again.
2: That's a pretty baller play, actually. Uh, that's that's a pretty next level for those listening. You know, like to be able to advance or scout, move yourself backwards exactly the distance you need to come back and get that angle. I mean, that, you got you got some foresight to be able to make that play. That's pretty smart.
1: Yeah, um, it, it's it's a great play by Richard. Um, I think that, uh, and I I knew all of those things existed. I should have pre-measured exactly uh, how far. Um uh I should have pre-measured exactly how far he could go. Cause like if you had asked me how far do Cerberus ra- how far could a Metallica Cerberus Raider go? I would like think for about 10 seconds and then be like 21 inches. But looking at it at the table, I just kind of was like, man, that's so far away. Um and uh that's, that's so far. I was like, it's so far by. away. I'll just hide here so that he has to literally come up around the ruin to see me. There's no way he's doing that. Turn one, we'll be good. Uh that is not what happened. It was not good. <laughs> Um, And I think what I actually needed to do was set up both a Dominion and a Retributor Squad on the objective, knowing that he could push forward and absolutely kill one, and frankly accepting that he would do that. But by having both on, I could guarantee the objective because one service raider unit does not kill um, a a Retributor Squad. Um, Or, I'm sorry, doesn't kill both. It certainly could kill one. Again, you know, these are, there's a lot of micro-mistakes being made here that I like to go back and analyze, because um, I actually didn't think that uh, one Cerberus Raider unit shooting would be enough to kill it, but I wasn't factoring in that Metallica ignored the penalty for advancing and firing assault weapons, and I also was not expecting him to put the Manipulus buff on that unit so that it got the extra AP. I always think of that as a buff for Rangers, but apparently it goes on um, on Cerberus Raiders as well because they have Galvanic weapons or something. So when he got them to AP two, he did enough to kill it on the dot, uh, past the point that I could miracle ice into success. So, um, because I, I didn't bother trying to miracle Ice into success because he had a he has a strategy to advance in charge.
2: And of course he was right on top of me. So having one Dominion left probably wasn't gonna help much. What was the implication of losing that squad on that objective marker there? Cause you're saying having two on there, would that have changed anything because it was the one where you only have to be on it to hold it. Uh, I mean you, you don't want the knight beyond to hold it, I mean the real implication was having enough on it that he couldn't kill it. Um Uh, Because it doesn't matter if he outnumbers
1: me, I had a dog mat on that flank who can apply obsec to a unit within within 6 inches. Um, So as long as any model survived, I would just slap obsec onto it. There was no way he was getting rangers onto it. So uh, I would have obsec, he wouldn't, and I would get my 10 on primary. Uh, The real implication here was that he wasn't going to get, um, he wasn't going to be able to deny me the 5 on primary. And at that point, there's a question of does he even push forward at all. Because if he's only pushing forward to get kill a unit and get three points and lose a service raider, he may actually keep the raiders back. Him pushing up, killing the Dominions um, is an eight-point swing because it gives him three on eradication of flesh when I had nothing else exposed, and it denies me five on primary. So that's an eight-point swing right there. If I cement the five points of that, he may not take the risk just to get three. And at that point, then eight points different. There, again, this finishes up as a two-point game. There's a lot of different ways that I can look at this game to try to recover those two points. And it'll it'll change how the game goes, but anything I can swing in my advantage gives me an edge that I can try to hold on to, and hey, maybe that's enough over the course of the game.
2: So that he actually snuck in three points there, which I didn't realize because he had the eradication of flesh. So that was his only play he could have made. Well, he could have made possibly made others, but that was one of the only plays he could have made yeah. to actually score that three points.
1: No, that, that was pretty much it. I had, Everything else was thoroughly behind a wall where he could not possibly reach it. Or buried inside of a rhino that was behind an obscure ruin. So I really that that was his only play for a turn one eradication of flesh. I was trying to deny it to him, but um I had gotten that unit out to kill an infiltrator squad because I didn't want an infiltrator squad just standing next to my objective waiting to charge me, because that would be terrible. So um, so I made that play instead. Um, and uh it almost worked. Uh, but unfortunately he was able to get that eradication, deny me the five primary. So that that little opening volley, um uh, it, it went fine in that I was able to give him a 5 on primary uh, myself, and I was able to eliminate a lot of resources. Um, by the end of my turn 2, I had killed 10 Infiltrators and every Cerberus Raider, uh, which is uh, a, a fine place to be. Um,
2: but, you know, you look at the little points that were lost here and there, I could have done better. Where? How did Siegler play that? He only had one vehicle, right? How did he play that vehicle to protect his Eradication of Flesh? Because, in theory, you could go out there, deep strike, use your Miracle Dice to kill that that one vehicle he had, right? Or was that just such an impossible task, the way he played it? It was
1: impossible. Uh, that single vehicle was buried as far as humanly possible back in his deployment zone. Uh, it had 10 Teraxi inside to start the game. Um, and the threat range of Taraxi, again for the record, is that they can disembark three, move 12, auto-advance six, still fire their flamers with no ill effect, and uh, then either spend command points to charge or spend command points to um, leave the battlefield. So, he's got 21 inches plus the range of his guns out of that transport. It didn't need to be anywhere near the front line. Um, he buried that thing behind obscuring terrain as far back in his deployment zone as possible. The only way to get through that, to that was by killing everything in the way, which frankly was impossible. I, I don't want to say literally impossible, but I have to go through his army, and if I can go through his
2: army and hit that transport, I have won the game in spades. It wasn't realistic. It was nowhere near the optimized strategy, like not even in in the radar, is what you're saying, No, um, yeah.
1: Richard just has to do his due diligence of like, okay, how far uh, can the, gun, the multi-meltas go? Can they shoot this? No. And as soon as he does that, I'm like, yep, you're right, I can't shoot it. We're going to move on with our lives. This isn't happening as long as you do your job. And sure enough, he never gave me the easy opportunity to, to shoot it, and uh, so I didn't. And uh, I, there was never really anything I could do to change that fact.
2: For those who are listening and playing admec players who are taking this, though, I think that players who aren't Richard Siegler might slip up and give you a chance to kill that thing, in which case I think is absolutely what you should do. But obviously, Siegler is not going to give you that play.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, looking at this game in retrospect, uh, after the, you lost the role to go first, of course, what, it, was there any merit? Did you think about going and making it uh, more aggressive and a more aggressive game for yourself? To try to get him because you know that he's going to make—he's very precise in his movements and he's very—you uh, might even say a robot when he does these things—but you know he he basically makes his moves and he's very methodical about it. So was there any play to try to get him out of his comfort zone and to basically make yourself uh, have more aggressive plays on the board?
1: Yes, I I think that that was an option. So my plan going in. Um, Which, uh, in hindsight, I I agree was incorrect. Was to, um, again, give him, to basically tie up the primary, and then on turn five throw my entire army into the center so that he had to work really hard to, um, and like, physically move block him so that he couldn't take the center objective by just, like, throwing Celestine, Vol, Rapentia, Sacrosins, everything far forward and around the objective to stop him from reaching it. Like, literally the plan was, like, drive three Rhinos out of the objective. Make sure he couldn't get onto it. Uh, throw Repentia, Celestine, fall everything else in front of them. Tag as much stuff as possible, and just stop him from getting that fifteen at the end. And if I'd gotten a five point primary advantage at that point, our secondaries were so close, I thought I could squeak it out. Um, what I think shot that plan down, and the problem with that plan was that it required on my part, and because Richard left it open, I didn't go aggressive because I'm relatively risk adverse as a player, and I, I think that bit me in the butt here. Uh, but my turn three. Uh, when I went for a play where I needed, you know, a unit of Zephyrim to inflict seven wounds on a unit of uh, um, Sekarans, um to to kill them and take an objective back, or alternatively just, you know, kill enough that they didn't kill me back and I contested it that way because he didn't have OPSEC on it. If I had done that, I have the five point advantage in primary and he has to start getting aggressive into me and then I can counterattack. And I was trying too hard to stick to plan A when I should have accepted that I needed to go with plan B. Because plan A is get an advantage, draw my opponent out into it. It was possible, and uh, I think, you know, the way Richard ended up screening and positioning his units, um, which was good, but not perfect. I had a chance to exploit it. Unfortunately required things go my way. And uh, to be clear, this is not a Blaming the Dice instance because I don't have any rerolls or any buffs that I can apply at this point. But I went in with I into this, you know, this wounded infiltrator unit. Um, on average, do I kill it? Yes. But I didn't have anything to back up average, where when it didn't happen, and then he put a bunch of strats in, he spent three CP on uh, Tesla on fives, plus one attack, a different plus one attack, and suddenly he was hitting on twos, and then um, suddenly two infiltrators like casually dropped 15 wounds on his Ephraim squad and just er- eradicated them. Um, but when I made my game plan... Hope that things go average and don't have a backup plan if they don't, because um, my backup plan, unfortunately, was being out of position. Uh, I should have not made that my plan, because when something went against me, I didn't really have a, I didn't really have a safety net. Um, and I, I did that because I already felt like I was a little bit behind in the game. I think I let the matchup get in my head a little bit, uh, which you definitely should not do. I, I certainly made mistakes uh, in that one, where I got a little complacent, I was like, eh, this is already a bad matchup, let me see if I can get this to work. And that, that's, that's the wrong philosophy. Um, and I'm, I'm a little disappointed in myself that I took it for a moment there. Um, I think that, in hindsight, that that plan was a bad one. Because, yeah, if things don't go my way, I my backup plan is wait for Richard to make a mistake, which I'm fully aware he's not going to give me an easy one. So when the uh, the Zephyr went in, didn't kill that, and he got a 10 on Primer when I was planning on getting uh, giving him a second uh, in a row 5, suddenly he didn't have to come out. And then I had kind of positioned my army too far back, because I was, I was trying to force Richard to come to me, because that's where my army strength is, and I was trying to force that to happen. And when one thing didn't go my way, suddenly it's like, well, I don't have to do it, so I'm just going to wait here outside of your threat range for another turn. And then it's like, ooh, I am not inflicting damage fast enough to get through him. Um, and that's exactly what happened. That same turn, I didn't put Celestine forward as far as I could have, so I wasn't in range to heroic every part of the objective. And I, I did that intentionally. Like, I knew going in I could put her more aggressive, but I'm going to put her farther back so that when Richard has to go aggressive into me, I'm farther back and it's a longer charge for him. And, you know, just in case I could get him to fail a charge. But then when I failed my end of making him go aggressive, which was the Zephyrim, which cannot reroll anything, failing to kill infiltrators, suddenly I was too far back because now he could just send off a five-man unit of uh, Rangers. He ought to six advanced them because that's an amazing stratagem. And then all of a sudden there was one obsec model on the objective and it wasn't mine. So that was the only aggression he had to do that turn. He basically got to take a turn off, stay outside of my threat range, and then I had one less turn to chew through him before the end game.
2: It's funny you say uh, the average dice thing because, you know, that's like the number one thing you hear 40k players say is, oh man, I just wanted average dice. That's all I needed. But exactly like you said, you know, you you need to have a, a contingency plan for average dice. You know, if you're planning on rolling average going into something and if it fails you you lose that flank or whatever you know that's that's not a that's not necessarily the best plan you could have made
1: yeah and i'm used to zephyr doing a lot and i was like looking at this as like a sure thing and like when you go back and look at it like it was not a sure thing at all and what i really wasn't expecting was my thought process was all right there's seven wounds in here maybe i don't kill the last guy uh and you know what richard rolled well on fives i rolled bad on threes it it totally just happens and it's not an excuse at all because I, as a player, can outplay the need to roll that. I just didn't at this moment. Um, and that's a mistake on my part, not a failure of the dice.
2: So what you feel like you should have done is basically played that flank a little bit more aggressive after the Zephyr didn't finish the job and giving you that extra turn to get back there and, and take and take out that the units that otherwise could just sit there and hide the rest of the game. Is that kind of what you were saying there?
1: I think I needed to play more aggressive before that point. I think... After turn one, I get I get the points for free with the scout move. He doesn't get to do any damage to me, and then he has to send something out, and I kill it. After that happened, I needed to step on the gas and go straight forward. Um, I was a little too protective of my characters, both is that, both Celestine uh, and Morvenval, because uh, frankly, I'm used to it. Um, they're usually my to the last. I didn't take them this game because I was objectively aware that I would need to use them, and they would they had the chance of dying in this game, but I didn't. Um, I. I I, I knew it in I knew it in my brain. I didn't know it in my heart. Where I still was a little conservative with Celeste involved because I didn't want to lose them. I, I love those girls. Um, I I needed to be more aggressive. Forces units out. It both plays to the strengths of my no prisoners. Just getting involved in a brawl. He kills me. I kill him. I get points for that. You know, after turn one, every other turn was a guaranteed three on eradication of flesh for him. I needed to just write that down and accept it and not even try to deny him it because there was no universe where he doesn't get an infantry kill. Once I start putting Zephyr and Seraphim and Repench in the midboard, he's getting it every turn. At that point, I, I accept my life and move on. So I need to get my no prisoners up to the same spot, which involves drawing his units out and giving sufficiently tasty bait that he has to. Otherwise, you know, Celeste and Morvenval is going to come kick his butt and kill him. Um, I need to be more aggressive at that point so that I could escalate to an endgame where I have killed enough of his army that I can move, block the center objective, and stop him from getting on it. And unfortunately, I did not
2: do that. How often did you find yourself taken to the last in this event? That's it, no, it's kind of a off the off the topic here. But you see a lot of armies that are playing Morgan Vall and the um, Celestine, and they're taken to the last almost every game. Do you find yourself taking it more often than not? Um, I played eight games this event. I want to say I took
1: to the last seven times.
2: So basically every game but this one. Yeah, eight, every game I except this one I took
1: to the last, and I and I don't think that was a mistake. You know, I, I think that this was. I think I actually took all three of the right secondaries I needed to. I think that both my macro and micro game plan could have been improved a little bit. Uh, there you know, the two noteworthy instances of micro were um, the turn one play to get a 10 on primary that I didn't take because I didn't want to risk a squad. I think that was actually a, a trade that was worthwhile, knowing how Richard likes to play the game. And uh, the second part of that is the, um, uh, the the movement to turn three, I should have been more aggressive in the center, knowing that there was a chance that my Zephyrm plan didn't work. And, uh, and that it was really out of my hands because it was uh, roll dice, don't re-roll anything. I should have accepted, you know what, this may just not happen. If I roll bad, I don't have a backup plan. So let me be more aggressive in the center in case it doesn't work.
0: Now, I heard you're going to a team event in September. And there's going to be possibly, hopefully, differential scoring. Now, you're bringing your sisters Now in that tournament, if they go differential and you're typically in a situation where you just want to win with your sisters, you know what I mean? You're complacent with the fact that you're going to be able to outplay because sisters give you so many options. And with that many options being a great player, you're usually able to just find that right option and just give yourself the win. Are you looking at anything different into the team tournament to try to extend that differential out to be... Uh, basically to get larger wins in the team term in team format.
2: Brad, can you explain what differential scoring is for those listening before we move forward here?
0: Perfect. Well, there's a couple of ways to do it. But the, the basic way is, is that your team, whether it be four people, five people, whatever the team format is, is looking for X amount of points, whether it be a differential point. So they basically say, John and I play. I score 100. John scores a 10 because he painted his army and then i would get a 90 point differential so that goes for the whole team and then if the whole rest of the team you know lost by 30 then you get a composite score of the differential for each and every game played so five games played at the las vegas open you'd have five games you take that differential from each game and get a total for the excuse me for the uh, the match so that gives you what your score is for that and they usually have it set up so that you have to get X amount, 10 points, 20 points, 30 points, whatever it is for a win. Uh, and then if you get a certain price, it's a draw on that. So that is differential.
1: All right. So uh, on to the question then. Um, I I don't think I would change much here. Um, I actually, I really love my list the way it is. Uh, I don't think the scoring is actually going to change much for my list. Really, what it would look at for the Las Vegas teams is I'm considering going heavier onto uh, some of the units like Repentia that are a little more matchup specific because you can tailor your matchups a little bit. Where Repentia are very very good at punching people and very very bad at getting shot, so I don't go too heavy on them. I basically have enough that I can outflank one squad and put the other in the Rhino. anytime I play against indirect fire, um, which I did in uh, game seven, you know, against uh, Mark's Eldari, um, so that I don't have to have Repentia on the table if if I don't have to. The extra Rhino makes a big difference into things like you know Sean Naden's mixed Eldari with Reapers or uh, or you know Marks and uh, you know. M- Night spinners, spinner weavers, shadow weavers, elder indirect platforms that have a name. Shadow I'm sure. weavers,
0: I was really hoping that you would continue to name them over and over again. I can do this shadow specters. I believe, aren't they?
1: <laughs> no, no, the indirect platform is what we're talking here. But, the um, little, little anyway. Flyer boys. Yeah, the little little zoopy, zippy, the, the zippy 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 guys
0: zoop. are shadow specters. The platforms are shadow weavers. There's exactly. No, there's a lot of shadow going on right
1: now. There is. Um, so uh, to illuminate that further, um, I think that I could go heavier onto fast melee that doesn't like indirect fire in a team format because, hey, I can, you know, when I do the pairings, I can be like, hmm, this person has a lot of indirect fire. Brad, go play that. I'm going to wait over here. This person doesn't have indirect fire. Yep, that's me. I'm going in.
0: I and mean, that's a huge thing about the team tournament. That's kind of why I asked on that one. It's just there's so many, you can go more so much more skew into that. So when you look at sisters, where would you put them as far as, a lot of people want to know obviously we'll go into two two part in the question here you're, you're good in your bad matchups and what do you think about the book as far as where would you put it as a like a tier list kind of thing it does have a lot of options and it is a very high ceiling but it has a very low floor
1: yeah so um as far as um as far as the tier goes um I'll answer that one first i think sisters are solidly an a minus where they're better than the majority of the field they have a lot of play and they reward people who are practiced with the army um, my first several games with a Sisters Codex were me getting absolutely dumpstered by uh, some fellow Art of War team members who were telling me that I was doing everything wrong. Um, and it took a while to get to the right stuff, but I, I like to think that I've gotten there, or at least one of the right stuff. I think there's more depth that I haven't explored. But um, I don't think that the Codex is as strong as, um, uh, say, uh, Adamek or Drukari. Uh, if I were to do a power ranking, I think I would put Sisters as either third or fourth. Um, but uh kind of kind of right in that tide for third spot and uh solidly behind Adamek and Drukari. however, I do not think that those matchups are unfavorable. I actually think that sisters, when they are played as well as possible, have a slightly favorable matchup into both um they have a slightly favorable matchup into Dukari and about an even one into Adamek, which right now is about all you can ask for. um I think I've played some uh ooh it's it's a lot um. Sorry, I'm doing head of math real quick. Okay, I've played, I believe, 22 tournament games with my uh, with my sister's of battle, and so far I have two losses, and they are both to Ademek. But I've still beaten Adamek, um I want to say uh, four times over that stretch. So I don't think that it's you know necessarily a bad matchup, but it is it is definitely a challenging one that uh, will punish you for making any mistakes at all.
2: When we talk about like playing in the different archetypes for the people listening. You know, you're talking about shooting armies, punchy armies, and just like are a mix in general. Are there any ones in particular that you feel like are good or bad? Like you talked about the indirect being bad for repincha, for example. Are there any any matchups that you feel like are unfavorable or very, very, very favorable for you?
1: I actually think I'm favored into any balanced army. I worry about very skewed shooting lists, and I worry about very skewed melee lists. Um, so like, I'm a little bit nervous about a Vanguard veteran rush from White Scars. Um, But I'm not as worried about, like, you know, 15 van vets as part of a a normal Space Marine list with a couple Dreadnoughts. I worry about Dreadnought spam, but I don't worry about two or three Dreadnoughts. Um, Admech is prone to doing very extreme melee or very extreme shooting. They can do both very well. And that makes me nervous, but against extreme shooting, the bodyguard shenanigans I can pull off, which I actually haven't mentioned yet, um, can be very powerful and can give me an edge and, again, force my opponent into that uncomfortable state of, like, ooh. If I do nothing, I'm going to lose this game. Therefore, I need to come do something. And then they get close to me to do something, and then I, I punch them and shoot them and flame them and, and all the other fun stuff.
2: So you you kind of have the tools to deal with the parts you can deal with, and you have the chaff and stuff to kind of deal with the parts that maybe are not favorable for you. That's kind of what gives you a, an edge on the balance matchups, would you say?
1: Yeah, exactly. My list does everything, and I'm very well-practiced with it at this point. And I can usually exploit the couple of uh, advantages I have in consistency, because uh, there's always a little bit of an element of what if. We're like, okay, I can come out and shoot this Dreadnought, but what if I roll all ones on damage? Not to worry, I've got a six in the pocket, I will not roll a one on damage if he fails to save. Um,
0: to, give the, to give the old boy King some props here, I actually think that GW did a great job with the Sisters Codex in the fact that it has basically an uncapped ceiling for amazing generalship, and he's joshone throughout the year that he's just crushing with it with that, but it's one of those armies that there's a lot of viable armies to play out of Sisters, which is why I think it's a great codex. But also it is definitely not just a pick up and be at the top table army. So I have to give you props.
1: Yeah, uh the sisters win rate I, I think is uh I think that they're I think that the fact the codex is better than its win rate because um you know it has a high ceiling if you're willing to go through the the growing pains of learning the army. Cause it is it does play very different than the last Sisters Codex despite superficially looking similar, it, the changes that were made force it to be different. Um, and I, I think for the better, and I think closer to my playstyle, I've really really enjoyed the changes they made. But, um, you know, it, it they took away some of the strengths of the last book, gave uh, some buffs to the weaker parts of the book, and uh, you kind of have to find the gems in the rough there. Um, but I, I love the army just because of how it, it forced me to master it. This was not something that I was able to pick up and do really well with the first time I played it. This, you know, Drukari. My first game, I accidentally tabled a uh, Jack Harpster on turn two before either of us realized what Drukari did. Uh, sisters, um, I got smashed
2: the first time I played. Tell us a little bit about these bodyguard shenanigans. I know we've seen it on a lot of tables floating around. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, ye old bodyguards.
1: Um, basically, the, the Celestian Sagrissens are a wonderful 131 point unit that costs one point more than my Retributors, making them my third to the last, and a great unit to shove behind a wall. Uh, their bodyguard rule is that any character within three inches, uh, it's any, uh, order or sanctified character, so, uh, it applies to both Celestine and Val, uh, within three inches cannot be targeted by shooting attacks. Um, I know that the frontline gaming events have ruled that this doesn't work in Overwatch, so uh, know, yeah, I won't take advantage of that, but uh, in actual shooting, um, it, it just works. You can't be shot, period. So you can do something with Celestine where you take her Gemini and you daisy chain them out and you can end up holding an objective. That's a about 12 and a half, it's like 11, 12 inches away from the sacrosancts with Celestine and not be targetable. So anytime there is a ruin within 12 inches uh, of an objective, you throw those sacrosancts up against the wall, you say, This is where my bodyguards live. And then Celestine's Gemini number one sits two and a you know, two and a and a half inches from them. And then two inches up is another Gemini, and then two inches up is Celestine. And you've got a 32, a 32, and a 40 mil base there. And then all of a sudden, Celestine is just touching an objective and it's yours. And if your opponent wants to come contest it, she heroic six inches, you know, hits them in the head repeatedly with a sword and you move on with your life.
2: Yeah, that seems pretty, pretty freaking good. I didn't realize you could Daisy Chain like that. That's pretty, that's pretty strong for sure.
1: Yep. It's a great way to uh, hold objectives and it's a great way to force action out of my opponent because I can literally, you know, usually there's one objective that you can hold from Adelina Sight and then you do. And then there's a second objective that's not actually on a Ruin, but it's near it. And then you throw the Saxons in the rune, Celsian on the objective. She plants herself in the center. Maybe Morvin Vol sits with her also being bodyguarded. So you can get a little bit of shooting action done. And you get to be like, hey, I'm on two objectives. I'm shooting you with Morvin Vol with full rerolls. And I'm gonna get a 10 on primary without you being able to shoot me. Uh, are you are you gonna do anything about it? No, okay. Well, here's I'm gonna get my tens of primary, and then I'm gonna missile away a Zephyr minor pinch to give you a five once or twice. And I'm gonna get my tens, you'll get one or two fives, and I'm just gonna win the game because all my secondaries involve me being on my half the board. So, what are you going to do about it?
2: How do you beat that, John? For those listening, how would, if, if you were playing versus yourself, how would you beat that bodyguard behind the wall?
1: Um, quite simply, a melee unit strong enough to kill Celestine is answer number one. Uh, but then you have to come over to me. And I think really what you want to do with Sisters of Battle is, uh, I think one of the most important things in high-level 40k is being able to accurately predict what the score is going to be. Where if you look at the game and it's not a game where you and your opponent are going to either table each other or get tabled. And uh, at that point the score will probably just work itself out and the person who has models left will win. Um, if it's not going to be one of those kind of games, because sisters are fine at that, they do damage, but that's not what they're built for. Uh, they're built to play a five-turn game where you're grinding with your opponent the whole time, you know, fighting for every single point and they come out on top. Uh, that, that's how i built my sisters list and that's why I like to play. I don't like punching someone in the face until they run out of models on turn two. Uh, when I do, I'll play my Space Marines. That's not what sisters are for. So make a projection of what sisters are going to get on their points and then look for ways to disrupt it. Like if they take Stranglehold, look at how to deny it to them. Look at ways to uh, protect your own primary spot. that you can just outscore them. Get them out of their comfort zone because sisters in their comfort zone are a very hard army to interact with. Nice.
2: Brad, what else you got for
0: John today? Mostly what are you thinking about doing for the future? As you're coming out with... Obviously, they weren't in the last tournament you played in, but now we've got Grey Knights, we've got Thousand Suns, and we've got Templars obviously coming out soon, and then two mystery books
2: after that. Yeah, orcs oh. also. orcs weren't and, in the GW either. Oh, that's true. The
0: are were not illegal for that. What what changes are you making in the future to keep going with the Sisters?
2: Yeah,
1: so um, I intend to play Sisters for a little bit longer. Uh, for most of the season, I've been hopping from army to army, and I've wanted to settle in on something and get a ton of reps with it and uh, feel really good about how it plays. Sisters have kind of naturally emerged as that army for me. I love how they play. Um, I would like to keep playing them in the future. I don't think that Thousand Sons and Grey Knights are going to shift me off of them. Sisters happen to have pretty good uh, um, Psychic defense. So, you know, that that is a definitely a playable matchup, I think. Um, and then um, I believe that um, uh, I have a good matchup into Orcs as well. I've played Sisters versus Orcs five times so far. Four or five times. Um, I haven't lost it yet. Um, so, uh, as we kind of continue to see orcs evolve, I'll probably have to change my own list and tactics against them. But at the very least, I have a playable game into orcs. So, I'm hoping that if I have more experience in the matchup than my opponent, I'll have an advantage. Um, other than that, um, I'm always eyeing Space Marines. I'm always looking for the, the hottest Space Marine jank to take. Any opportunity to play Dreadnoughts appeals to me. I, uh, I am hoping to take uh, Knights to a, a couple random small tournaments just for uh, funsies because, you know what, I, it's one of my. It's one of my best painted armies, so I like putting them on the Such table. Such a spoiler, too. It is, Rip- and it, that's the thing, is it's trolley, but also is actually, like, totally good enough to work. So, um, th- that'll Rip probably it be it me night, for boy. some small tournaments, but I expect that I'll be playing sisters, at least until we soon new rules. Um, Black Templars could maybe uh, lure me on, but uh, with Orcs, Thousand Sons, and Granites coming out, I expect sisters will probably be my go-to. And uh, uh, unless, you know, the team requires me to play some kind of weird skew, uh, I-, I expect I'll be playing sisters in the future.
2: John, I actually have... I'm going to go ahead and do something I haven't done before. I'm going to throw in two extra Q&A questions. Because literally, while we recorded part two, I had two people post on the thread. And I and I think at least one of them is a part two listener. They are a subscriber to the podcast. So if you don't mind, let me... Can I give you a couple of questions here from the Q&A? Let all be, boss. Our first one comes from Tim Taylor, who has asked us some questions about Night in the Past. He says, hello, handsomes. I think he's referring to me. And, uh, you know... I'm determined to make knights work better, in the meta suggests. I'm getting great results using the free braid list. It's too much to remember. Now I'm thinking two Magera and two Warglaves and a Crash Detachment. Crash trait, relic on one Majera, two plus, four plus plus on the other. Make one Warglave a free blade with OBSECT and a second attachment custom trait, fall back and shoot, reroll with four, with four axe with lightning locks and a Warglave. Make that Warglave a free blade, and you also make with OBSECT. Do you see any major flaws outside of secondaries?
1: Um, I think that works just fine for knights. Um, if the free blades are too much to remember, um, but you feel like they have power, I would actually encourage you to try to stick to it, and um, m- instead come up with a system to make it work. So, uh, for example, maybe get cards, or maybe like paint, uh, you know, honorifics on the knight that kind of tell you what it does. Like, if you happen to have a fancy scroll on the knight, and you carefully, you know, write obsec on the purity seal, maybe that'll help. Uh, you know keep track of what uh traits it has otherwise um as an actual army list that that sounds perfectly fine falling back and shooting is never a bad thing with uh armagers but um i you know because armagers can shoot into combat i'm never as worried about them getting tagged um and but also you know what they don't really need to be a uh, house crest either so uh i think that'd be a great thing to test out uh you know i think you've got a lot of play there two obsec armagers always makes me happy because i like obsec knights
2: yeah I agree with that. If you're running all nights, I think you almost have to take the upset ob- obsect- armatures just to have that little bit of punch and the backfield guy to, to scare your opponent. Mm-hmm. Uh, second question comes from Ben Way. He says, "How does John currently feel about there seemingly to be different FAQs and rule clarifications for sisters for every event?" Um, I,
1: okay, I'll, I'll be honest. Extremely frustrated. Um, I uh, for Lone Star Open. I uh, you know I talked to the TO. Um, It was uh, published ahead of time. You could use two cherubs. um, And then um, Charity Hammer is the exact same way. GW, I emailed in the rules team. They ghosted me. I asked when I got to the event. They said one cherub, which I was frankly not expecting at all because I thought it was obvious. But, uh, you know, I was already there with the sisters list, so I wasn't going to change it uh, because I only printed out one thing. So I just had two cherubs and used one a turn. Um, And then um, uh, for the uh, Frontline Gaming Team Tournament, They've reversed their Lone Star ruling and they've said that it will be one Cherub at the event. So, and then I believe that the uh, London GT FAQ came out recently and uh, I don't know what they said about Cherubs actually because I'm not going to London GT, I haven't really looked. But um, it is frustrating that GW is taking a little bit of time to answer the questions part of the FAQ. So um, yeah, I don't really know. I I think we're just, it, it is frustrating but I don't really know what to do about it other than to wait and uh email a to of an event you're going to as far in advance as possible that you know what you're practicing for like you know the las vegas teams event um is in a month but i know right now that i will not be using two cherubs a turn so i can game plan on that i can either cut a cherub i can take cherubs anyway i can take an army that's not sisters uh at least i'll know far enough in advance that i won't feel robbed by showing up to an event and uh having it ruled in a way I wasn't expecting.
2: Do you feel like with Games Workshop running official events now that their rulings are going to kind of be where the way it goes with a lot of the major events?
1: Um, I wouldn't be shocked by that, but I, I also want to emphasize that the Games Workshop event packet specifically calls out that event rulings are not made by the rules team, so you shouldn't take them as a gospel, just take them as for the event. So I'll probably play it the way that GW uh, Open rules it until I'm told otherwise, and that'll kind of be my default. But... Um, uh, you know, it, hopefully, uh, GW will put pen
2: to paper and uh, actually publish something, so that there's no longer a mystery. Awesome, John. Well, Brad, you got any other questions for for Mister Boy King here?
0: I'm just going to let the Boy King model away.
2: Are you? How many models have you built since we talked? I got to know. Um, one, but it's a tank. Okay, that's fair. Yeah, it's a rhino. I built yeah, a rhino. Great that's good well john thanks for joining us today as always i didn't even mention this you are the first repeat guest on unbroken so i'm gonna make you a trophy oh. and bring it to yours to new orleans you're gonna have a first repeat <laughs> guest trophy it's gonna first be first person
1: to not learn from the last time they lost a the game on the show got it it's,
2: it's gonna be a golden <laughs> rhino snapped in two but it's not gonna be broken it's gonna be unbroken there we so, go yeah perfect all right john thanks for listening thanks for listening everybody make sure to check out all the good stuff we have at theartofwar40k.com now I'm gonna let our spokesman with the deep voice finish us off. Later, guys. Like what you just listened to? Check out Art of
0: War and the Art of War Down Under podcasts on the competitive 40K Network. The Art of War40K.com.